All right, I believe we are live. As always, I'm going to wait for that little red button on Rockfin to be sure, but I think that we're live right now on YouTube, on Rumble, on Twitter, and here in a second on Rockfin as soon as I click that go live button. There we go. All right, the moment of a heart attack. This is a propaganda report, Strive Time, News Blast. I'm Brad Binkley. It's a special show tonight. I've told you guys a number of times on this show about my time living in Chicago when I was doing the Second City Conservatory program. And the one friend that I had up there who was also from the South, so we were like a novelty up there, and we had a pretty wild time up there. He is going to be a guest on the show today. Jack Hatley. He had a heart attack when he was 37 years old. And this has nothing to do with the vaccine. This was years ago. And he was telling me this story recently. And it's just, it's, it's kind of a crazy story. And I think that hearing this story just can be beneficial and helpful to a lot of people. And I want you guys to hear it. So Jack is going to be on the show tonight. And he's going to tell us all about it. I'm going to bring him on now. Welcome to the Propaganda Report, Jack. It's good to see you. Likewise, Brad. Thank you for having me. How's it going? It's going good, man. How are you yeah, doing? I'm good. You probably don't know this, but so Jack and I, we hadn't seen each other in probably like 16 years until maybe a month and a half ago when you had this conference in Atlanta. And then we hung out. We just picked up like it was, you know, just the next day in Chicago, 16 years ago, or in Tennessee, I think was the last time we hung out. But I talk about uh, our time in Chicago quite a bit on, on the show because of how, how much of an impression it made on me. It, it definitely made an impression of, of sorts on me, too, for better or worse. <laughs> right. Yeah. They need uh, earlier closing times at the bars in Chicago. Yes, they do. Yep. For me. <laughs> so, Jack, when you were 37 years old, I remember you telling me this, and, and I, was, I was shocked, and, and I was very thankful that you were okay. But you had a heart attack, and you told me the whole story when you were in Atlanta. What happened? I did. Um, so, actually, I'm coming up on... Or, just had my 10-year anniversary of this in July. So um, this happened um, July 10th, 2013. It was the day after I turned 37. Um, obviously, wasn't expecting that. Um, so I had what is called a uh, widow-maker heart attack. And I don't know the, you know, statistically... Uh, how many people don't make it um, when they have one of those, but it's it's high. I do know that. So, um. Yeah, you know, a guy at the radio station that I used to work at, WSB, is a very popular guy on, on that station. I think he was in his 30s, and he used to do comedy as well a little bit. He had a heart attack, a, a widow maker, and he didn't make it. Yeah, it's... Um, Widowmaker is when you have... Uh, I had a hundred percent blockage in my um, LAD artery, and I believe that's—I think it's left anterior descending. Um, so yeah, it was—it um, was not a good day. Um, I was was very fortunate, um, in that I lived in very close proximity to uh, uh, a hospital. Uh, where I will 
forever be indebted to those people that were there that day. So it was, um, I don't know, uh, there was a lot of luck involved. And um, you drove yourself to the hospital, right? I did. And I was told that, um, you know, that's obviously nobody is going to advise you to do that. Um, however, I was told that there's a high likelihood that had I not done that, that I wouldn't have made it. So, um, if I would have waited for an ambulance or something like that. So, no, that's true, but, um, I, I wouldn't change anything about the way the situation unfolded. Um, well, so take us through it from what you remember from the moment that you felt something wrong. Yeah, it was, um, it was, I live in Pittsburgh and I was living in Pittsburgh at the time. And, um, you know, I gets it's not as hot as where I grew up in Texas, but I remember that particular day, it was probably 90 something degrees. And, um, I was working in the yard. I was home by myself and I just started sweating a whole lot, which was pretty uncharacteristic. Um, and my heart was really just, just pounding. No, no pain. Um, but I thought maybe I was getting like overheated or something, or, um, I didn't know what to think. So I went inside, drank some water that did nothing. Uh, sweating didn't subside at all. So I, well, maybe if I like take a shower, that'll help. That didn't help. And, um, so my, my brother-in-law, who is... Uh, How long of a time period was this from when it started to taking a shower? Um, I would say from the time I noticed that something was off to the time that I, you know, it was, there was no doubt in my mind what was happening to me. I would say it was probably uh, 15 to 20 minutes. Yeah. So, um, I don't know what's typical. That was my experience. And so, and Your at brother the brother-in-laws, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And at the, at the, during that period of my life and the probably like five to 10 years prior to that, I had panic attacks a lot. And so I knew if I called my wife or uh, my brother-in-law, they would just say, you're having a panic attack, chill out. But, um, so anyway, I decided to go over to his house. He's a, an, uh, an emergency room doctor. And, um, so I was like, who better to bring this problem to? And, um, so I was, I got in the car and started to drive there and, so while while this happening, how, how did your body feel? Uh, what your breath was it heavy? Your your arms just just everything um, felt. I was still like my heart was beating really hard, and I was hot and sweating. At that point, there was really no pain, um, and I lived. If you're, if anyone is at all familiar with Pittsburgh, I lived. Um, in an area called the Mexican War Streets, which was on the north side of Pittsburgh. And I was, 
my intent was to travel to the south side where um, my brother-in-law Brian lived. And I was, I would say probably less than a hundred yards from the entrance to the freeway. And I felt like a snap in my chest, like a, like literally like just a snap feeling and instant pain. It was like, I, I knew at that moment that I was, I was in trouble. What was that? Do you know? I don't know. I've, I've wondered if maybe it was like the clot lodging. I don't know enough about, um, I'm not a medical professional. Um, so I don't know what it, what it was, but that's, that's my guess if that even is possible. But, um, so yeah, I, (laughs) it, things could not have lined up any better than they did, uh, considering the gravity of the situation. And it just so happened that I had not gotten on the freeway and there was a street where I could turn right and drive to this hospital that was about a mile away. And, um, so you had a choice, right? Uh, of do I continue going to my brother-in-law's house or do Yeah. And your that own? was, uh, that, I jumped ship on that idea. Uh, there was no, I, I knew I needed to get somewhere uh, where this could be dealt with and I yeah. needed to do it. That yeah, saved your life. Fast. And um, so it was, um, I was driving, you know, faster than I should have. Uh, but I, I made it there. I had to park the car. <laughs> which is something kind of an odd thing when you're like in the midst of what you think. It was like an emergency room where the ambulances go. Yeah. Or... And you have to look for a parking spot. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, and, and go through a metal detector, you know, upon walking in. Did, did you get the wand as this was going? You're having a heart attack. Did they, they check? Well, for... they did. Um, they did stop me for sure. And I was, which I was like, you know, a little, little baffled by, but I don't know, I guess there's characters going in and out of there. But, um, yeah, so I got there and just kind of fell into this desk and was kind of a mess. And, um, they had me off like up on a, gurney or. They took you back right away when you went in, you didn't have to go waiting. No, no, I didn't even, they didn't even know my name at that point. I don't think I didn't even get that far. So, um, but what was, um, it was bothersome to me at the time. They kept asking me what kind of drugs that I had done. And I was like, I, I have not done any drugs. I don't. And, uh, but they were just insistent that I tell them what kind of drugs I had done. Did they, like, they thought you had overdosed. I don't know what they thought I had done, but, uh, they, I guess, given my age, um, and you just don't, it's not a, a common sight, somebody in their thirties coming in like that. But, uh, so they, they finally said, if we drug tested you, what would we find? I was like, you wouldn't find anything. So, and eventually the guy was like, 
I'm sorry I kept having to ask you that. I guess maybe it affects the way that they treat you, uh, like pain or what. I, I don't know. But um, so there was there was a lot of that, and then I uh, I remember being in the back in in the emergency room and I had all these people running around like looking at me and um that's what I remember the most probably about the whole whole thing um you know it's just I, I remember seeing like on the wall in front of me there's big clock and I just um they were giving me I think fentanyl and Dilaudid which are obviously very strong drugs and in this case they were used for pain and um i just remember looking at that clock and looking around looking around and realizing i don't know any of these people and i'm and you know at that point i'm like i guess i'm gonna die i don't know i guess you know i guess that's what happens here but uh were you able to communicate at that point yeah, I was. And um, I still have a vivid recollection of it. Um, and the thing I remember most was a doctor who was not even in on um, my case. He just happened to be walking through. And I think he's, he sensed how freaked out I was. And he took the time and came over and he was like, you know, he was like, ask me my name. He's like, how are you doing? Like, I asked him just point blank, am I going to die? And he was like, um, he's like, well, probably so, but I don't think you're going to today. And, um, he was, I, and I remember, I remembered his name, um, the next day and, um, I communicated with him, uh, briefly after that several months or maybe weeks after that, just thanking him for, um, you know, taking the time to do that because it's, you have a bunch of people in the room who they're focusing on their job is to keep you alive. They don't really have time to chit chat with you, make you feel better. Um, <laughs> so, um, from that point, they took me into a cardiac cath lab and they um, put two stents in. They go through your femoral artery, or they did that time. They can go through your wrist as well. But um, so they did that, and here I am 10 years later. And, yeah. Uh, what does that do? That opens up the blockage? It does, yeah. So... And they, um, I think that they have some sort of medication in them that, uh, as well, but that, yes, they do, um, open up the, in that case, the artery and, and if you would have wait, didn't you say if you would have waited like any uh, minute or a couple minutes longer that it would have been a different outcome? I mean, I, I guess it's just. You can only speculate on that, but I had a number of people at the hospital tell me that. Um, they said, you're extremely lucky to have gone through something like that. And um, I think that, like, 
that made it harder for me to kind of uh, come to terms with everything in the days that followed and actually like the year, year and a half after that, um, mm-hmm. you know, when somebody's telling you these things like, hey, man, you you dodged a bullet. Like, um, so what, what was the treatment uh, like? moving forward what was uh a lifestyle change or what like what causes it i i, I don't know anything about yeah, these things um so i was about a week later after i got out of the hospital i was in the icu for a couple of days and then there or like a i guess a step down room and then about i don't know Four or five days later, I was connected with a um, cardiologist. Matter of fact, I still go to the same cardiologist. Great guy. Um, Has been amazing since day one. And uh, I think he realized from the get-go that I was like, um, it, it affected me kind of my mental state. I just like was worried about it's constantly worried about whether or not it was going to happen again i'm sure like you didn't you, you didn't see it coming there were, weren't anything no. that you know warned you about it that's it, terrifying so he um he put me on some medication and um like a cholesterol med like a statin for cholesterol and then a beta blocker, which in my case, it helps make your heart work. Not, um, it just makes it work very efficiently. Um, and it helps with my blood pressure and, uh, now I'll come back to that specific medication later, but, uh, was your blood pressure high at the time? It was. Yeah. Um, and I, I had just started um, kind of several months prior to all this, like sort of trying to take some steps in the direction of maybe addressing that better. I had been on blood yeah. pressure medicine, but it just wasn't, wasn't really doing anything. And um, yeah, I mean, that's an easy thing to be like, I'll get to it later. I, yeah, I, yeah. It, and yeah. That's, that's exactly what I did. And, um, but in addition to the medication, my cardiologist gave me the option of going through something called um, cardiac rehab, and that helped me tremendously. It was uh, not only physically, but like um, it, it. I was I was afraid to leave my house or leave anywhere that wasn't you know, a few blocks from a hospital. And yeah, I dude, I would be paranoid if I were in that situation. Just what, what a, a scary thing. So this was great because it was in a hospital. Um, so I knew it's like if something happened, I was in the right spot, but, yeah. um, it started rebuilding my confidence and physically it helped me, um, get back on track. I remember the very first day I went to it, I would, I did these exercises, I would say probably less than 10 minutes and I couldn't even make it out of the, 
waiting area afterwards. I sat down and like fell asleep because I was just like, uh, it just took that much of a toll on me. Um, what kind of exercises was it? Um, in in that particular program, it was uh, like treadmill, a lot of treadmill. Um, trying to think, there were basically some things that they can get your heart kind of going, and you have a, a heart monitor on the whole time. And, um, but it, I started feeling better and started feeling more confident. And when the course of that was up, I asked my doctor if it was possible that I kept going with it. And so he arranged for that to happen. I, I did get to do it for, um, I don't remember how many more weeks, but, um, I would say that was a huge, huge help. But it, um, beyond that, the things that I struggled with the most were, um, this is before I had any kids. So it was just me and my wife, Amy. Um, and when she would go to bed, I, I would just sit up and this happened for probably, I would say a year, um, to where I just absolutely could not go to sleep. And because all I did was worry when is this going to happen again? And so I can't tell you how many books I read that year, but uh, I would just stay awake basically until I just, you know, like, yeah, they, just, yeah, they call it a silent killer. If, if I recall correctly, well, what did you learn for, for, cause what you described when you first started feeling something off is, a situation that a lot of people feel and probably would not go to the hospital. They might write it off as just, you know, uh, it, maybe they're hot or they're getting enough sleep or whatever else, anything but the worst case scenario. And so that happened to you. And fortunately you made the, the correct decision to, to go find somebody who can help. But what did you learn about um, preventing it or, or noticing signs and taking signs seriously through all your reading and your experience? Well, um, what prompted me to change course and head immediately to the hospital was just that snapping feeling. And then it felt like somebody just jammed like a fork into my heart. But uh, so it was super painful. And so I, I was just like, there is no way this is not um, what I think it is. So, um, but I learned like, that these things it can happen in just a blink of an eye when there's no um, there's no forewarning really that they're going to happen. And so, right, I think we think that we would notice it, right? Yeah, and you know, I've I've had a, a lot of friends ask me, um, you know, what do you think this is? It's like if you think you're having some issue with your heart, that is not anything to mess around with no dude it's totally like it, it's just so easy to be like it's probably not the worst case thing I, I, i'll 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 put that off and it, like I, so i've thought about this kind of thing lately when something happens with with my dog or something and you look up on the internet you get a million different explanations for what it might be worst case scenario or, or it's, it's nothing 
I've just kind of defaulted to if there's any sense that it could be something bad, I'll just take him to to the vet. And uh, there's I've been lucky a couple of times because it was yeah. something bad. Uh, I don't necessarily do that with myself, but uh, I think that I should because I I just I don't think as you experience that these situations are, are like we would expect that they would be because we've never encountered them until we have. Yeah, and man, it was um, the thing that made my anxiety kind of spiral was that you know when when you're looking for information on something you just get on the internet and it's right there at your fingertips but um what i ran into was i could not find a single instance um of any like a story or um article or anything about a person my age um, going through this experience. So I'm just like, oh my God, this is like, this must be super rare or something. And then that just leads me to believe, well, if it's rare, they must not know that much about it, blah, blah, yeah, blah. Right. And so it was really, really tough um, because there was just no information out there. Uh, this is while, while you were feeling that, that you were looking this up? No, 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 no. This is in the, okay. the after. time afterwards. Like just because what I was looking for is kind of seeing what people's lives were like after yeah, experiencing okay. something like that. I couldn't find anything, and um, literally not a single uh, parallel story about someone my age, like a primarily a male. Um, I and I remember going to the American Heart Association website, and I felt like a lot of the stuff was geared more towards women. Yeah, dude. I don't know if that's true. But yeah. that was my experience. They don't, for situations that are rare, and again, for anybody who's just tuning in, this is long before the vaccine situation. When there's rare diseases, I learned this with my mom's situation, who had a rare disease for 18 years. She was told when she first had it that there's nothing anybody could do. She died in two years. She lived for 18 years. And there turns out there was things that could be done. It's just that the doctors who we encountered initially they didn't know it was outside their realm of knowledge and it was very hard to find research on it you had to be like real specific with your 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 google searches and and ask like yeah it, it's very difficult and they do have these rare diseases rare disease organizations now where they try and give support to people with rare diseases but the fact is if they haven't identified enough people that have something that there's not much research or not much um trials like uh, health trials going on to try and figure out what the issue is with these things and if these things are less rare than they think then there could be real problems that, that are overlooked because sometimes things are actually a little more prevalent that they call rare because they don't want to acknowledge for whatever reason and i don't know that this was necessarily rare it was just um near impossible to find any um story that shared any common ground and that's all i was looking for yep. i was like hoping to find you know some story about some guy like who the same thing happened couldn't find it so that is um so you didn't know what to do next basically yeah and so it's just like there's no playbook um i mean there is as far as you can make all the lifestyle changes and take the medicine but that's not um it's not necessarily going to help those 
negative thoughts you're having and uh, right help you go to sleep at night because you're so it's all worrying yeah, that also that's a that's a factor too the 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 anxiety and, and the the focus on that is is definitely a lot of people might might, might not agree with this but we can think ourselves into issues sometimes, especially when anxiety can can overwhelm us. And I know I've I've been through that before in my life, and uh, that's something that we we both understood about each other when we first met years ago. Yeah, that was something that I had terrible, terrible panic attacks um, for for years, really, and um, I, really a. Uh, uh, side effect of this whole experience for me. Um, and, and I hate to say this, but it almost made, uh, if it took having a heart attack to get rid of panic attacks, well, so be it. But, uh, <laughs> I, that's kind of what happened. Just, um, one of the medications that I've taken and I'm not, again, I'm not a medical professional. I'm not uh, suggesting that anybody go out. You're just saying what helps you. Yeah. Yeah. The, I'm just giving my experience. So I don't know what it would do to you or, um, anyone else, but I noticed, um, after probably like a month and a half, two months, it's like, I, I stopped having them and I kept waiting to have them again. And, um, it, Knock on wood, uh, 10 years later, I still am not having them. So it's, um, uh, it's a, if there's a silver lining, that's it. Um, yeah. For me. What other changes did you make afterwards? Um, I mean, I was, especially for about, the first year or two after it, I was super careful about what I ate. Um, and so I, I started reading every food label that came my way. Um, just really just made. What were you looking for on the food labels? Uh, I, I didn't really know. I was looking at the sodium content a lot. Um, saturated fat, um, cholesterol, I guess. Yeah. Did your doctors or nutrition, uh, kind of steer you in this direction or was this based on your own research? <laughs> it was kind of, um, a self-imposed thing, but I yeah. did. I mean, our diets are terrible in a lot of ways. Like, oh yeah. Is, yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm definitely, um, not as diligent now as I was then, but. Um, I don't know. I have a way different outlook on my life now than I did then. So maybe that plays into it somewhat, but. Yeah. So diet change that that's, I mean, that is, I think the most obvious, possibly most difficult for a lot, a lot of people change to make because we were so habituated if that's if you even said that word right and what we eat and it's, it's so easy to have the the junk food or what i know i, I am i have a sweet tooth and uh, i i beat myself up about it a lot i just need to get it out of the house if i'm, if I'm around it 
then I'm probably gonna, you know, eat, eat the Oreo or, or whatever. I got to surround myself with, uh, with stuff that's healthier. I used to tell my friends back in the day, uh, when occasionally I would partake in marijuana, occasionally I would say, man, every time we smoke marijuana, get all the chocolate out of the house and let's fill it with carrots and broccoli. Okay. If we're going to have the munchies, let's do it. Let's do it. healthy. Yeah. Problem yeah. solved. Yeah. So we got a couple comments here. Uh, Denver Attaway says drinking more water is a game changer. And man, it really is like it's so my, my dad had a stroke. Uh, he, he died uh, last year. He had a stroke in 2019. And one of the things after a stroke they tell patients is you got to make sure you're getting a consistent amount of water. And I think we don't realize sometimes how little water we're drinking and, and yeah. until that's kind of pointed out. Because I, I started following his routine that they were telling him because I'm like, I'm not drinking enough water. Yeah, my um, my carbon footprint is not uh, <laughs> probably very enviable given the amount of uh, bottles of water I drink. But I start the day off taking seven pills and um, just try to drink. Um, I used to drink a lot of like Diet Coke. I don't do that. Yeah, so much more. And um, but yeah, uh, another thing, my wife. And I did, I think it was about a year and a half, maybe two years after all of this happened, um, she agreed to run a half marathon with me. So oh, yeah. we, neither of us had ever done it before. We trained together and um, did it, finished it. And to me, that was a pretty big accomplishment. And I was yeah, like, yeah. if uh, this guy didn't <laughs> right. crap out on me during this experience, I think we're uh, headed in the right direction. Definitely. Those are tough. Uh, Denver says you can keep a glass pitcher with lemon and cucumber herbs, like a, a mint sage. It's like, a, um, you know, on, on your next to your bed or, or whatever. It's, I do the same thing with water bottles. I, every morning I get up, I take my yacht across the Atlantic and then I get on my private jet and I leave my carbon footprint all the way to my uh, plastic bottles of water that I then throw in the ocean to... <laughs> Too, Helen. But yeah, so what pill? You said you took pills every morning. What are they? Are they vitamins? Yeah, I take, um, well, I take a vitamin. Um, I take a fish oil pill, aspirin, um, two blood pressure medicines, a statin for cholesterol, and a blood thinner, which, um, and I've been on all of these yeah. for the last. All of those, with the exception of one, which is a newer addition um, for the last ten years. So, figure if it's if it's worked this far, let's just. Stay Isn't aspirin a blood thinner? Also, it is. Yeah. So I actually only take that one um, every other day because I'm already on um, taking Flavix. So what's that? Um, it's a blood thinner. Oh, that's um, okay. Yeah, it's a lot of people are. I think they're on it for a few months after having stints placed. I could be wrong about that, but uh, in my case, it sounds like I'm going to be on it uh, maybe forever. And yeah, so far it's worked, so that's fine with me. Do you monitor your blood pressure, your cholesterol regularly? I go to um, 
my cardiologist regularly. Um, I get uh, blood work done regularly to monitor all that. And really the biggest challenge I've had over the years is I, ever since I was a you know younger person, I would see spikes in my blood pressure when I would go um, to the doctor. I, I don't know how I know they were spikes because that was the only time my blood pressure was being taken. But <laughs> um, right. Uh, yeah. So I would see... I should say, I guess I would, I would see that my blood pressure was high. And, uh, so, um, right. That's been the biggest struggle. It still, what was it? Do you remember? Yes, I do remember. Um, when all of that happened, it was 180 over 110, which is okay. horrible. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I used to check my dad's when, after my dad had a stroke, uh, I was in there every couple of hours checking his his blood pressure and, and um if it was too high I, I i you know you start to worry and you don't want to make him worry because because the stress we talked about the anxiety early yeah stress is, can you know jack your blood pressure up yeah and that's it was in in the hospital that day it was 180 over 110 it's obviously not that high now um but it's um so that's something that I'll always have to battle, I think. Uh, it, and it can be a, a scary to check it. So the, yes, you, it can I be agree. like, I don't want to check it because I'm worried what it'll be and what the implications of that will be, which yes. is not good. If it is high, you want to you know, nip it in the bud. I couldn't have said it better. That's Yeah, that's 100% true for me. Do you feel like leading up to it that there were uh, any signs or anything? I know it's a silent killer and there's not a lot of, you know, overt physical signs that are different from, you know, other not, you know, life-threatening conditions. Um, I had even had, um, I would say three, three or four months prior to that, I had um, an echo done. Um, What's that? I think that's what it was. Some sort of. It's like a heart check. Yeah, it was, and there was nothing um, wrong then. And this uh, clot, I guess, just lodged and um, caused caused that particular artery to be hundred uh, percent blocked. So, is that something that can be screened uh, if people want to go get checked on a regular basis to make sure they're not having similar issues? I think there are um, things that, yes, and I don't know what all of them are. I know what um, what I usually do is do um, a stress test, which um, basically you go in, they put some leads on you, you get on a treadmill, they crank it up, and you try to get your heart to a certain, yeah, and then immediately. Uh, you jump onto a table and they do like a scan of your heart, like when it's still kind yeah. of yeah, see how much stress and, it could take. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so that's I, I'm sure there are many other things you can do too. I just have not undergone any of those. Um, so, what would you I, recommend to people who who might be? In a situation that I described uh, a little while ago, maybe they're in the 30s, they're in their 40s, and they, 
they don't want to imagine a situation where that happens and, and they, well, w- yeah. The short answer to that would be um, address it because you don't want to have to address um, having a heart attack, especially, you know, 30s or 40s, you have young children. Um, I did not at the time, I do now. Um, and so, you know, that's always in the back of my mind. What if this happened when I'm with one of them? Yeah, so I just try to push that out of out of play and think about something a little bit more positive. But and what should people do? Should they schedule a checkup with their with a doctor that they trust? A lot of people don't trust doctors. I do understand that. Uh, my position on doctors are: you want to do your research on doctors that that you are you know getting evaluated by, and you want to recognize that they also have a limitation of knowledge and in certain situations when they don't understand something doctors sometimes can be arrogant not always and their arrogance can lead them to concluding things about stuff that they don't actually understand i think recognizing that about doctors and recognizing that they do have valuable knowledge that they can help us with but as soon as that runs up, as soon as they, you come to a situation like, I always relate it back to my mom because it's why I think this way. We can help you. We can help you. Oh, wait a minute. We don't know what this is. We've never seen it. You're going to die in two years. That's when a doctor has lost their usefulness to me because they don't actually know that. So it's like, a, you, it's like uh, go see doctors and recognize what they can do and what they can't do uh, you know, and use what they can uh, help you with, in my opinion. I mean, my take on that would be um, find a doctor that you really like. Right. Is if if it's somebody you don't like or they're undefended <laughs> yeah, yeah. or whatever, your chances are you're not gonna. <laughs> right. Nobody take wants of what they say. I'll say uh, this: don't ever go to a doctor who works at a hospital where the people who are employed there, the doctors and nurses, have fifty different gender pronouns, because you could be going under the knife and accidentally call your doctor a he and. He, he, you can see the look on his face when he gets angry, and you don't know what's going to happen once the anesthesia kicks in after you've misgendered this doctor. Don't go to John Hopkins is what I'm saying. But I, 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 I'm joking, but I, I, I get your point. Yeah, you don't want a hostile doctor. You know, you want somebody who's open-minded who'll listen to you, which that's not always the case, but it's such a night and day different thing. When I, I, like there was a doctor who told me I was going to die because I, I was in there with, with my dad who he... He had a condition that I had found was it was exactly like a a rare side effect of the vaccine. I mean, exactly. And I found it. It had just been published about a month earlier and I found it on Google Scholar and I took it with us to the doctor because the recommendation was if this happened, do not get the booster shot. And so I wasn't bringing it to this doctor to say, is it the vaccine? That's not, I was bringing it because I knew that the booster shot was about to be recommended to my dad. And I, I, I talked to the guy and he was just presuming that, you know, that he didn't know what caused it, whatever. And I, I said, is it possible that it's a reaction to the vaccine? And he scoffed at me, got angry told me I was going to die. He asked me if I was vaccinated. Told me, I said, I'm not. Told me I was going to die if I didn't go get vaccinated. And then I pulled out the 
study that had just been published and I had highlighted all the portions and I was like, this describes my dad exactly. This is not an unreasonable question. And he had a little bit of a, a short circuit and then told me I was going to die again. And then we went and found a new doctor. And that new doctor, I was very cautious when we went in. And I was like, I know I'm not supposed to ask this, but I, I'm just kind of worried because this looks like what happened to my dad. And I know the booster is going to be recommended. And she was like, oh, no, I've actually seen this. You, you can ask any question you want. It was such a relief to be able to be open and talk to a doctor that didn't care about being right, that cared about, you know, helping the patient. And that's, that's what, that's what I, I look for now when it comes to that. I, I wholeheartedly agree with you that, I, I mean, I think the key for me was that I, I found a doctor that I like as a person. Yeah. Um, and I trust him and, uh, I feel like he genuinely has my best interest in yeah. mind. But uh, that's, that's funny to me. It's like if somebody's like, uh, "What's going on?" It's like, "Well, I know a doctor. He's a great doctor. I don't trust him as far as I can throw him." But here's his number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's certainly been doctors that I've been to, and maybe what they were telling me was accurate, but the way it was presented to me, it was in a kind of. A, condescending total action yeah, yeah yeah i don't like that makes me <laughs> not want to ever go back to them or so i don't Absolutely. know i'm not really um in a position to tell anybody what they should or shouldn't do in that regard but I, if you do believe in um you know modern medicine find a doctor that you uh like and that, that yes yeah. and um that's important but i i think um I would be better equipped to tell somebody that, um, you know, I don't know what it's like to die, but I know what it's like to think that you're about to die yep. and everything that goes along with that. And that's so somebody, terrifying, man. I can't imagine what must've been going through your mind. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of things did. And, um, so I guess my aim would be to just reach out to anyone that, has experienced something like this and just let them know that I probably have a pretty good idea of how they're feeling. And, um, in my case, there was light at the end of the tunnel and yeah. finally there. So, uh, yeah. And that's a, like, that's a great idea too. I know you had talked about starting a, a, a podcast of your own to put this information out there because like you said, you looked it up and you had a hard time finding other examples that right. you know you could you know model what to do after. And that's not because there's not examples out there. It's just maybe it's not focused on and it's harder to find. So if you can get people together in some sort of forum or, or whatever, text messaging, whatever it is, then you, you start to have people that have similar but unique experiences that everybody can add a little bit that all helps each other. And I think that's a fantastic idea because, I mean, that, that is like, that's a silent killer. There, there's no out of the ordinary uh, signals that we're very familiar with anyway. Um, I, yeah, I encourage you very much to, to do that because you, you, you've had, I cannot imagine that experience. I, I actually remember, Jack, when you told me that you had a heart attack. I remember where I was. You know, we have those memories that, you know, kind of uh, we go through everyday life. A lot of things are similar every day. 
everything seems like one long day. And then we have moments where it's like, whoa, that are vivid to us. And when you, it was a text message, you had said it. I was in Kroger and I was actually writing because Kroger used to have a nice Starbucks area, uh, you know, years ago when this happened. And I just sat back and I was like, damn, fuck. <laughs> you know, I'm so glad you're okay. But th then I was just like, that shit could happen to me. Yeah. And yeah, it's scary. Um, yeah. And I've, I've actually met a couple of people. Um, I've had a couple of people reach out to me um, after reading an article about my experience that was published years ago. But um, and they, they were in the same boat. They said, you are the only person that's uh i've read about that had a similar experience so mm -hmm. um the more that started to happen and then once i hit this milestone of 10 years i started thinking more seriously about doing yep. that that's yeah. um and I've, I've had some really good feedback thus far from people that have asked to um talk with me and so hopefully that'll be off the ground before too long. Yeah, you could bring people on and they could uh, recount the experiences and, and what they, they learned leading up to it and and afterwards. What What is the article? Is it online still? Uh, it is. I trying to remember the name of the organization. Um, I can't remember offhand what it was, but it if you type in my name, my first and last name, Jack Hatley, and then heart attack, uh, <laughs> it'll show up first. Yeah, first thing that pops up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That 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 is interesting to me. That's actually that idea of a rare conditions, and again, not not necessarily rare, but rarely talked about and really focused on it. Because through my experiences with with my mom's illness, where I think at the time it was called perineoplastic cerebral degeneration. It's where your body has a microscopic cancer that it attacks and it kills it. But along with attacking and killing the cancer, it also attacks and kills something in your your uh, cere cerebri I, say, I always say this word wrong. Your brain that that is called uh, Purkinje cells. I'm probably pronouncing those wrong. But what those cells are are cells that regulate the communication between thoughts and your, your mobility. So we don't think about it. Well, we don't have, I need to move my arm, move my arm. It just happens, but there's still a system of communication that exists there. Well, the system of communication for her was completely destroyed by, by her own body when it was going after this cancer. And that created a disconnect to where she couldn't communicate. So she was not, a paraplegic in the sense that people understand it, like her spine wasn't severed, but the system of communication didn't work anymore. So she lost her ability to use her arms and legs and was wheelchair bound. Now over the years, that's, they didn't, they had never seen it before. There's less than 500 known cases of this in the world. You couldn't find any useful information or, or case studies to help. My parents had no idea what to do, and the, 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 the people who they looked to for help had no advice for them other than, you got two years, we're sorry. It was like, you're on your own, you got to figure shit out, and what you do come to discover, what, what I have in the years since, and during it, through research, is 
there are sporadic cases that you can find, uh, or at least there used to be, the internet's changed a lot, where people are telling their stories here and there and people can learn things. Because in my mom's case, she was misdiagnosed for six months or so. Actually, I think it was closer to eight months. They, they labeled it seven or eight different things. She went to every single doctor. We, we took her to, to New York. We, we took her to uh, the, the Mayo Clinic. No, nobody could really give any helpful information other than, we're sorry. I mean, and, and sometimes a, a few of them would even, you know, well, we don't think she's going to die. Well, yes, she is. I'm a doctor. Okay. I had to tell a couple of doctors, don't ever say that in front of them again because it's demoralizing. You know, you don't want to demoralize people when they're already searching for something. And fortunately, my, my, my parents, they, uh, they were relentless in, in their search and their willingness to, to keep fighting and figuring this out as best they could, which is, it's very difficult, you know, especially if you, every, everywhere you look, you're, you're getting pushback. But once you do find a breakthrough and you can find people who do know a little bit here and a little bit there and you can put pieces of information together and start to uh, collect stories where they can all help each other from, from case studies, then you can start to find hope because then you start getting directed to the people with medical knowledge who actually have an open mind and are working on this stuff. It's just you didn't know how to find it before. In the case of my mom, because it was such a rare thing and the language, uh, the medical language was so weird. It, it took me a while to even know what questions to type into the Internet sure. to, to turn stuff up. Because I, I didn't go to medical school. I didn't know what most of the stuff meant and what I read about it. And so it's like, how do I even ask a question about this? It's the, the people are out there with knowledge and with stories that can all help each other, but they're hard to find. And it sounds to me like what you're interested in doing is creating a, a way to bring some people that experienced what you did together so all of, all of you guys can help each other and help others uh, in the future. Yep, that's exactly um, my goal. And I think it um, just sharing experiences like that um, with other people I think would really go a long way for uh, for someone who's maybe experienced that like today, see what, what's in front of them. Um, and absolutely. Yeah. To and realize that your life can uh, go back to a, a point where you want it to be. And yeah, fortunately yeah. I'm at that point and right. very it, thankful. It's like a lot of things we don't want to think about when we're in our 20s and 30s and, and, and 40s are, are things that we must think about if we want to take control of our health and our life. And it's just, what, what am I going to learn if I... A lot of people don't go to the doctor a lot in their 30s. You know, I've learned that. I, <laughs> I, me too. I just and, never got sick, so I never... Right. Yeah, and you don't know what's there. And it's almost like, if, I don't, if, I, if nobody tells me about it, Maybe maybe nothing will happen, but like obviously flawed logic. But um, <laughs> it is, that's... it is, and and I do understand the idea of like I, I I do believe people can manifest issues. So so there's I know some people believe well if the doctor tells you this or that and you start to believe this or that. I, I know Native Americans have done. It's been a lot of things where Native Americans. Uh, there's some stories where people have thought themselves 
into serious, serious illnesses and, and, and died. It's just crazy. But it's like, I think you have to balance that knowledge of the power of, of your mindset with yeah. the need to get your, your, your physical organs and your body checked. Uh, um, knowing that you, you can be in control of this stuff and the best way to to you know make sure that you are doing the right thing and i i'm i don't do the things that i'm saying right now i know that i need to and talking to you it, you know it gives me more of that urgency to not put things off that i know i should be uh, um getting checked out a little bit more I, I don't always take the best care of myself i don't sleep as much as i need to i, I drink too much coffee um i need to go get a physical probably spend a little bit longer th than it needs to be and when something happens, it's too late. You know, it's like being a prepper. I was talking about this the other day. People like, like people are casual preppers, you know, they're casual preppers. But when you're a casual prepper, you know, it's, it doesn't matter when the shit hits the fan. Okay. Like what, what happened in Hawaii? Here and there. Right. You know, Hawaii, they had these fires and people couldn't even leave their house to escape the fire. You go outside, you still have the fire. If you're not prepared for that, it's too late to prepare. So, I, I was equating it the other day to, you have to, if you're going to be a prepper, you need to be a prepper, uh, you need to act like you would if Christmas every year was on a different day and you didn't know what day that was until Christmas morning, all right? Then you'd always have fucking presents ready, all right? You'd never not have a gift ready to go if you didn't know when Christmas morning was coming. And um, it's just, the sense of urgency can fall to the side when we fall into this sense of normalcy where we think everything's going to be okay when there is going to come a day when it won't. Jack, I want to go through a, a few comments with you that uh, I, on Rockfin here, if you don't mind. And then sure. if, you're, if you're cool with it, if you have time and you have kids, um, it, it, we can just stay and, uh, and chat a little bit longer, maybe about other subjects because you're, you're an interesting guy, you're a funny guy, and um, I'd love to just chat about it. We can talk about lighter subjects or whatever else uh, yeah I'm down i'm in okay cool all right so let's see what we got here over on rockfin um i think some good health advice actually so what's cool jack about uh, i'm you know i'm what they call a conspiracy theorist although i'm not what like i, I don't know I, I have no idea what your politics are but i'm not what like the biden administration would call a modern conspiracy theorist which they just define as like a, a white nationalist terror, terrorist racist i've been a conspiracy theorist since searching for aliens w was what you know how you defined conspiracy theorist although nowadays conspiracy theorists question the people who claim aliens exist but that is a whole another subject for another day so there's a lot of people who uh oh, watch the show who communicate the chats and stuff who are they have so much knowledge when it comes to health, um, natural health, alternative health, and, and all kinds of great stuff. And I'm seeing some of that right here. So Denver says that uh, the best known herb for the heart in Western, in, in Western herbalism is hawthorn, which is a small tree or shrub that grows throughout the northern hemisphere. The fruits, the flowers, and the leaves, uh, um, yeah, processed into tincture, tinctures. I don't know if I said that right and other kinds of extracts available in capsules or tablets in the U.S. and other parts of the world. Interesting. Do you know anything about? I don't. Um, I, yeah, I, I... I don't. 
I'll, I'll just leave it at that. I don't know much about um, about that. Um, I tried some supplements in the past, and that didn't work out so well. So uh, I just kind of, you know, I I just kind of stay in my lane. Right. Yeah. I'm not. I am by no means an expert on this stuff. I so I've I've bought a lot my. My mom was a nurse, and I, I know your wife is a, a nurse practitioner, and she has all these old medical books, and I bought a bunch of, like, uh, military, like, army. I try and I try and find the most up-to-date army shit hits the fan, you know, training manual, because they, they release one every couple of years that just says, okay, this mushroom is poisonous. This You can eat this, you can't eat that. So I, I try to keep that nearby, <laughs> um, but I don't have... Uh, a vast knowledge in that, but I know a lot of people, uh, a lot, a lot of people here do. Uh, another comment here. This also comes in herbal teas. Uh, herbal teas. I actually, I, I like herbal teas. I, I don't know if they help me because of what's in them, and I typically follow the advice of people in, in the propaganda report community what what they've recommended, or, or the fact that it just feels good to drink this tea that smells healthy, you know, and it yeah, feels I'm, right. I'm on board with that. And I think mindset, it really does. Uh, Denver says that doctor sounds familiar. You know, this was actually a rare case that, so he says, let me guess the doctor, the gaslit you was between 34 and 35, not long out of residency. Actually, it wasn't. I, I think in a lot of cases it might be like that, but it was the other way around. The doctor that gaslit us was a, a guy who had he had been he, he had been my dad's doctor and my uncle's doctor for a long time. This was an older doctor, and I, I was little. I mean, I was taken aback by his visceral reaction to what was going on. I, I think there was probably some kind of pressure put on him. I, I don't know. And then the other doctor that uh, we went to was a woman who was probably thirty four or thirty five years old, and. What was interesting about that is that this was at a hospital that the second time we went to see her, they tried, they would, they changed their rules arbitrarily. They, we used to go there all the time. My mom had to go there a lot. And every single time they had a new COVID rule, none of them ever made sense. And we came this one particular time when my dad was going there and out of nowhere, they had all of these new signs everywhere. Like it was, I always thought it was funny because we had been there a week before, and then we come now, and there's all these big plastic advertising signs. It's like, make sure you're wearing your mask. Make sure you're a week before you didn't have to have that on, right? And, and make sure you're washing and doing all this. And this was towards the end uh, of the pandemic. And then I go into the bathroom, and then on the bathroom wall has all this stuff about, here's why you need to wash your hands and do this. And then uh, on the mirror, here's why you need to make sure you wear your mask along with washing your hands. And then there's the soap dispenser also on the on the mirror. And on the soap dispenser, it says, out of order. Uh, how, how am I supposed to wash my hands if the soap dispenser's out of order? You just urged me to, to rub my hands raw, which I do anyway because I have OCD. And the soap dispenser's out, but then they did not let me in. So my dad's about to go in and... At that point in time, he had had a stroke. He, he, his, uh, his lung disease, which it's pretty confident that it was caused by the vaccine. The doctor supports that, this doctor. He needed someone in there with him. And 
All they cared about was, am I vaccinated? And what I said to them was, my dad came down with this condition a, a month after he got the shot. Is it possible it's something else? Yes, but we have looked at some of the other causes that we've been told might have caused it. Like, this is not, a, we were very thorough about this. This wasn't like, you know, I wasn't just being flippant. This, this was a thorough thing. And my uncle developed the exact same condition as my dad a month after he got the shot. And so what I told him was, are you telling me that you're only going to let me in if I get the same shot that both my dad and my uncle got that for my dad is the very reason that we're here right now, according to the doctor that we're going to see. At least she can't say 100% because I don't want to put words in her mouth because she's a very good doctor, but says that it's a, a very high, highly likely possibility and they would not let me in. And so about three to five minutes later, the doctor walks out, escorts me in herself. And I mad respect for her to that because it was people in the lobby following bullshit rules. And she was like, I, I, I'm not going to deal with this. And, and she led me in. So in answer to your question, a shout out to the millennials on that one, because it was them who, who did the good job on that doctor. I guess I was a long winded explanation <laughs> for that. Uh, what's up, y'all? Says very safe bio labs. We got a great show, says Greg. Thank you, Greg. And a few more comments here. Um Christopher Hobbs, PhD, herbalist, botanist, and um, myocologist, uh, my, am I saying that right? Research scientist. This is just all information to, to look into if anybody's interested in it. If I didn't have a healthy heart, I, I would have died, at, at, been at least in a coma at age 12 when my blood glucose was 1,600 to 1,700 before I was officially diagnosed as diabetic. That's, wow. It, Denver, are you, are you still diabetic? Is that something that uh, you're dealing with? My uncle was diabetic for years and years. And then he started. So my uncle's who I think of when I, I say people in the thirties, forties, even fifties for him, never go to the doctor. He did not go to the doctor for decades, a Vietnam vet. Um, and he had di developed diabetes. And then he started going to the doctor when they, they diagnosed him. Then he started taking care of himself. And then it was like his diabetes were, were gone when he just started living a healthier lifestyle. And it, it just, it was like, wow, it's crazy. You can buy a three-gallon bush to plant at any herbal or, or vitamin store. Okay. All right. So the shots are bad. No question about it, says Greg. Yeah, well, one of my old roommates was diabetic, and that did not seem, it seemed like the shots were pretty bad. And who likes shots anyway, you know? It's type 1 since age 12. Type 2 is, is what it sounds like. Yeah, type 2 is what my uncle had. So, all right, man. So let's just, what, what else is going on with you? I, I have to say this, Jack. I, I knew I told you this. I probably wouldn't have survived when I was in Chicago for that year if, if you hadn't been my buddy. You know, I, I was so well, likewise. I was so I out of place. So what, what I, uh, well, this is going to be the DMB XR, by the way, the subscriber like portion of the show, go to the patreon.com slash propaganda report. If you want to subscribe for that, you'll get the DMB ad free. I take out the ads for all the subscribers. And you also get that combined with the subscriber only content that I put together into your own private Patreon RSS feed. You can put it to any podcast platform uploads as soon as I upload the show. So what I often tell people about it, Jack, is. Yeah, everybody there. Everybody talked like this. Okay? I, you know, I don't know if you remember that girl who kind of liked me. She was uh, 
yeah, a bit of a uh, bit of a bigger girl. She, I, we, when I left, she sang at that that karaoke bar. They had like I a little called that. Yeah, they had like a little party for me. The the improv group that I was uh, performing with, and uh, she sang "Leaving on a Midnight Train to Georgia" with me. That was very, very sweet. I, she was cool. She's super, super cool. But um, she was very. Uh, I'd never experienced this these types of personalities before in my life, and and I I loved the diversity, but I I was just kind of out of place. And then we were in the same Second City writing class together, and we started hanging out. And what I tell people is that we would go to bars. I think Friar Tuck is the one I'm thinking about, and we get these half pitchers of beer or, or, or Maybe I'd order a sweet tea or something, and then people would go, what? Everybody would just kind of turn their head. What'd you say? Sweet tea? And and then that made us, like, we were such a novelty that that made me, anyway, more of a redneck than I've ever been in my life because of how much attention these people up in the, yeah, I'm yeah, give me some sweet tea, man. And they just loved it like we were a beanie baby or something. Yeah, that was uh, that was definitely a colorful first <laughs> first year in Chicago. That's for sure. That's, yes, uh, it was. Surprised we we both made it out of that one. Actually, one of my favorite stories about that is 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 um we there we would go. There's all Chicago's kind of like New York. It's open most of the night. You can always find somewhere open, and we always did find somewhere open. And there was this guy in this part of town that we would hang out with who was this just huge black guy. It's probably like six, 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 you know what I'm talking about? He arm wrestled your Navy SEAL cousin <laughs> in the bar that one night. And so this guy, we'd see this guy around a lot and um, huge guy. And he would, he, he told us one time that he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm roommates with bad Leroy, bad, bad Leroy Brown. That's my roommate. And we're like, all right, bad Leroy Brown. And, and he, I think he kind of liked us because, you know, you know, we were pretty likable. And we bullshit with him and whatnot. And the, the one time your cousin came into town, he was a Navy SEAL. This, this guy is arm wrestling people. I can't remember if he beat your cousin. I just remember them being locked in it. And I was very impressed because your cousin didn't look huge until he's arm wrestling somebody. I'm like, look at the biceps on this guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember being there, but I was probably at that point in the night, I was, uh, brain was not fully functional, but um, that was, I think we definitely saw the seedy underbelly of Chicago. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, we we went, there was a redneck bar in, in Chicago that was kind of in a bad part of town where you could go find all the rednecks there, but you had to get on the L train. And my first time riding the L train, it was late at night and there was, Nobody else on except for like two or three other people. And then some guy opens the train cars coming from one train to the other who's got his shirt off. His pants are basically around his ankles. And he's got gunshot or he's got shotgun shells around his neck. He's going, y'all don't want nothing about this. I'm like, what the fuck is going? I mean, I'd only been on Marta leading up to that. That bar, I, I know which one you're talking about. I went there last uh, last summer. I, I met a friend of mine in Chicago, and he had never been. I, I told him all about it, and we got there, and it's been completely renovated. So it's like a where like legitimate citizens hang out now. Yeah, and we we we, that's, we didn't want to be where legit. We wanted to be where the underbelly was. Yes, yeah. how we liked it. Yeah have a memory of that place i think um 
feel like it was Halloween or close to Halloween. Uh, they had a Halloween party and the time changed and they stayed open an hour later. So essentially we were there until six o'clock in the morning, which is... <laughs> Yeah, we were out pretty late uh, many, many times. And uh, so the Leroy Brown guy and uh, the fist-fighting lesbian that wanted to fight us, there are a couple things that, that come to mind right now. I I just remember there, I think it was after your Navy SEAL cousin arm-wrestled that guy. I think I might have arm-wrestled arm wrestled him too, and, and he beat, I mean, the guy was a big guy. He whipped my ass. And I think I got mad, and I, t- I, ch- I, t- I told him I'd whip his ass in basketball, which I would have. Like, I'm pretty sure I would have. I'm, I'm pretty good at, at basketball. Okay? You know, I'm not, I'm not fucking NBA level, but uh, um, I'm better than I look at basketball. Like, I, I'm, I'm like, white men can't jump. Style. I can vouch for that. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> so, like, I told him, I, I, I was like, I will fucking whip your ass in one-on-one right now. And it was like 3.30 in the morning, right? And... He was like, all right. And he took me up on that challenge, and he, and he was trying to arrange for us to go to the south, si- si- south side of Chicago, and I was going to play him in one-on-one basketball on the south side at like 4 a.m. in the morning, and I was just so amped up because I was pissed he beat me in arm wrestling that I was ready to dominate in one-on-one. And thank God you intervened and told me it's probably not a good idea to go play one-on-one basketball in the south side of Chicago at 4 a.m. I don't think we'd be here uh, right now it, had that gone down. But I, I think one of my favorite memories is uh, of you getting locked out of your... Uh, yes, I did. I got locked out of my, my place. So I, I, I will respond to very safe bio labs. I, I understand that. Uh, he says, Brad looks like he's never touched a basketball, which is why... Every time I, 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 I've been the only white guy in a gym so many times in my life. I've grown up playing. I've scored 50 points in a game before, very safe bio labs. And every time, I, it doesn't matter. I, I, could ha- I, could have, I could be nine for nine on three-pointers. And I could have 35 points and eight rebounds. And if I'm playing on a blacktop, they could, they could put a black guy in a wheelchair on me. And I'll dribble around him and score on him. And they'll go... Motherfucker got scored on a white boy. It did not matter. They just progressively. It's just, um, it's fun. Like I love playing basketball. That for one of those reasons. But um, yes, yes, I don't look like I I, I play at all. Um, so yeah, there was one night where I don't even remember exactly how it happened. But the first thing that I remember is that my door shut in the med- like you know three in the morning probably after we had gone out. And I had locked myself out of my apartment, which was kind of near Wrigley Field. And um, I couldn't get in. And, and the, the front office, it wasn't open at the time. And, and I had on boxers. Ladies, if you don't know this, we, we don't throw boxers away until they just like d- disintegrate. And these boxers were basically a waistband. And that's basically what they were. Just a massive hole. And so I'm standing there with basically naked with no way to get into my apartment and four hours until the front office opens. And I'm like, well, fuck. <laughs> what do I do now? <laughs> Sleep in the stairwell. And that's exactly what I did. I went to the stairwell and I was like, I'm going to sit down here 
and I sat down the stairwell. I lived in like a 20-story apartment building on like the 13th floor. And I was there for a few minutes. And then people kept, like it's three, people kept coming in. And so I went to a different floor and people kept coming. I kept having to change flat floors until I found one that didn't have people constantly moving. And I think I ended up on like almost the top floor of the building. And then once it finally got to be around opening time and like, you don't, you don't know embarrassment until you're <laughs> sitting nearly butt naked with boxers with a giant hole in them, uh, sleeping in the corner of a stairwell on the 19th floor of an apartment building in the middle of Chicago as people are walking by and going to work and shit. That is, ah, I'm just, I'm just locked out of my apartment. Don't look at my dick. I'm just, I'm just locked out of my apartment. And so I, I had to make that walk once the place opened and I just put my head, covered my hands and I just, I just kind of walked to the office and knocked on the door and they, they see this guy covering his crotch. Can I help you? Yes, you can. I locked myself out. It's been a very, very um, trying four or five hours. Yes, that was um, those are one of those moments where it's like maybe I should stop drinking so much. <laughs> well, so I was like twenty five or twenty four at the time, I think, and uh, we just we partied and forgot my key. Good. <laughs> so, I we went to this. I lived near Boys Town, right? And Jack and I used to go to this bar we called the Aquarium Bar because the bartender was a gay guy who who liked us. And, you know, we would often get the benefit of of, uh, of strong drinks for a low price. Uh, um, you know, <laughs> and so there was nothing. Well, after the place. So right. We could. Up. Absolutely. And so there was one night where we went to a, a lesbian bar a, a little bit down the street and. We were just the life of the party. We we were dancing with all the lesbians, right? And there was a lot of lipstick lesbians here, okay? A lot of attractive uh, uh, women experimenting, I think. And they kind of liked us. And so we're we're having a party in the middle of this lesbian bar dance floor. And all the, the, the lesbian girls are, are around us dancing, having a good time. Tolerating was, us anyway. Right. Well... There was one lesbian who did not tolerate us, and that was like the leader. <laughs> leader is, uh, yeah, that's in that no in no universe could this one be described as a lipstick lesbian. This was the the home run hitting, softball playing, plaid shirt, cut off sleeve lesbian, short haircut, looks like a construction worker, and she. Threatened to fight us. She wanted to fist fight both of us because we were dancing with her girls. And I don't know who terrified me more, bad Leroy Brown guy, or the uh, fighting, uh, fighting construction lesbian. I, I don't know. Certainly a toss-up there. <laughs> totally, yeah. If I remember both of those people correctly. Yeah. Yeah, so we like, I used to do this improv show there, and after the show, there was the Dancing Naked Boys, because the show was in Boys Town, which is like, we're we're ending an improv show, and you got a dozen uh, naked dudes stretching when you go in the back, and it's like, all right, one, at one point in time, they asked me if I wanted to be in the show, and I was like, no. 
<laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> I don't want to be in the show. Does it pay well? <laughs> okay, no, I, I don't want to be uh, in the show. Yeah, yeah. So it was definitely some, I mean, we could probably talk about Chicago stories for a pretty long, long time. Um, definitely a learning experience for sure. I, I still I still think about that popcorn machine at that one bar where it's like you're descending into hell. It's the last bar that's open. <laughs> you know, I've tried and tried, and I will never remember the name of that place, but uh, it was better than the one that was in like a, like a flop house hotel that had a bar in the <laughs> right, right. You bought it. I totally. never could figure out that place. It was uh, like a homeless shelter slash bar, so. right? Yeah, which is perfect. It was yeah. on YouTube. Um, STV says uh, this is like a Jonathan Richmond song. This is. Let's <laughs> look who Jonathan Richmond uh, uh, is. Um. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure a lot of the stuff we did was like fucking country western song, and uh, I don't know. It, it was wild times, man, and we survived it thankfully. And um, yeah, I, I, I'm glad to have experienced it and made it out alive. So yeah, I'm glad not to be living it currently, but uh, it was good while it lasted. Well, every now and then it's like maybe just for a week or two. <laughs> yeah, if we could long weekend right maybe for a long maybe for a long long weekend it is it's wild man you know the nightlife is um you meet a lot of interesting characters and when i moved back to atlanta uh i i, I definitely stopped drinking the way that, that we were but I, I didn't stop living the nightlife because i was doing improv comedy and stand-up comedy like six nights a week and just the, the characters that you meet after midnight are vastly different than the uh, the nine a.m. characters you meet. There's, there's yes, no they are <laughs> so doubt about that. Uh, all right, man. So, where can people find any work that you do if you'd like to direct them to it? I know that you're this. You're just spawning this idea. So, I don't know if you have a, a website. Yeah, I think so. I don't. I have the framework for it right now. Um, so, I'm gonna circle back to you on that and uh i will have the details hopefully shortly all right awesome thank you for joining me jack and thank you guys for uh hanging out with us in the comment uh, um th thank you denver that's very kind of you to say and are, and are you saying u.s biolabs that i that i look like him oh no, you're saying john stockton looks like a math teacher <laughs> maybe i do too i don't know but, uh, thank you guys, and we will talk to you all next time. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. All right, man. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good.